0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Sure is good to be with all of you. Thanks for coming today. Let's pray as we come before God's Word together. Father, we thank you again for your majesty. Your righteousness, your kindness to us, that you you adopt us as your children. Lord, we want to hear from you. We pray, God, that as we listen to your word again, you'd give us open eyes, open minds, open hearts to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and you would speak a greater message to us than any human could, than, than I could, that we could meet with you, surrender to you, submit to you, and be Your faithful servants in this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a challenging topic this morning. Um, If you're new with us, we're so glad you're here. And I realize this may be like a kind of a bombshell experience if this is your first Sunday at church. Um, But we want to have integrity As Christians, when it comes to responding to homosexuality. And again, obviously this week we're reminded what a massive, hot topic this is culturally. So I want to speak to you about a Christian response to homosexuality. And I'm aware that some of you will disagree with me, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. My goal is not to be offensive to anyone. Um, My goal, honestly, is to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus with his grace and truth and gentleness that I hope will both encourage and challenge all of us. This is a challenging topic, isn't it? Do you feel, do you feel the tension um, yourself and our culture? Um, it's true, isn't it, that we have experienced massive cultural change in such a short time. Maybe his, historically so. I want to read you a quote from a Popular political uh, leader from 2004. This quote comes from 2004. Listen. This person said, I believe that marriage is not just a bond, but a sacred bond between a man and a woman. I've had occasion in my life to defend marriage, to stand up for marriage, to believe in the hard work and challenge of marriage. So I take umbrage at anyone who might suggest that those of us who worry about amending the Constitution are less committed to the sanctity of marriage or to the fundamental bedrock principle that exists between a man and a woman, going back into the myths of history as one of, the most, as one of the founding foundational institutions of history and humanity and civilization. And that its primary principal role during those millennia has been the raising and socializing of children for the society into which they are to become adults. That's an amazing paragraph. I agree with it. Do you know who said it? That was Hillary Clinton in 2004. The message is very different today. Eleven years later. And as you know, this week, the Supreme Court, in a five to four decision, voted to redefine marriage in America, establishing homosexual marriage as a constitutional right. And it happened so quickly. Now, if you come to this church, you know I've had this sermon scheduled for several weeks. So uh, I actually called the Supreme Court to see if they could get their decision in before this message. Um, But it isn't just politicians who have evolved, is it? Many popular Christian leaders, biblical scholars, some Christian denominations, some voices in our denomination have changed their stance as well, saying that the homosexual lifestyle can be called biblically appropriate. And if you don't agree, if you don't agree culturally, at best you are behind the times, not evolving at the same speed. Perhaps you're even intolerant, or afraid, or maybe even bigoted. How should we respond as Christians? It's complicated, isn't it? It is complicated. It takes a lot of thought, prayer, and humility. Let me, let me give you some questions as, as an example for why for me it's complicated. How would you respond to a Christian friend confessing a struggle with same-sex attraction? How would you respond? How would you respond if someone at work was gay and you, and you saw an opportunity for friendship? How would you respond? How would you respond if a leader in our denomination was claiming that the Bible supports the practice of the gay lifestyle? How would you respond to that? How would you respond... In a political conversation about the definition of marriage and what that should be like in a country like ours, that's almost a, another separate entire conversation. How would you respond to your child coming out as gay? How would you respond to your pastor coming out as gay? How would you respond to a gay person or couple visiting for worship one Sunday? And if you're here, I just made that awkward. But we're glad you're here, aren't we? Wouldn't you be glad they were here? How would you respond? I hope your answer right now would at least be differently. I would respond to all of those differently. There wouldn't be one pat answer that worked for every one of those issues. So you have to think through many different things. Now, obviously... It might be fun one day to walk through a response to all of those situations. It's not what I'm trying to do this morning. I do hope that for all of those scenarios, and you will be put into some of them, for all of those scenarios, your response would be Christian. If that is indeed what we are. That we would have integrity as Christians in every response. So here's the big question. What does it mean to be Christian? You can't just put a bumper sticker or a fish on something and call it Christian, right? I know many of you have converted cars. But that doesn't make something Christian. And here maybe I get controversial, but I don't think you can just say love either. Isn't love more than just acceptance? Acceptance. Doesn't love involve doing what's best for someone else? Well, then you'll have to ask the question, what's best? Well, that's going to take into account your, your view of God and humanity. That's complicated. What is best? I can't say this. The person who has loved me the most has confronted me the most. The person who has loved me the most has demanded the most from me that I did not want to give and of course I'm thinking of Jesus. He loves me just as I am. And he is nearly ruthless in not leaving me that way. So we're going to work today from a passage from 1 Corinthians. We've been studying through this letter. We've seen, we saw this passage a couple weeks ago. We remember that Corinth was a very difficult culture in which to be a Christian. And the church here was a small minority facing many pressures, and yet we've seen Paul continually calling them to integrity as Christians. He continually says to them in every situation, be who you are in Christ. And personally, I feel that that's part of what God is doing for the church here in our day. It's a test of our integrity in so many levels. Do we really believe what we say we believe? How about this? Will we really say we believe what we say we believe? Will we live as we are called to live, even if it has more of a cost? Integrity. Integrity. I want to point out four kind of Christian pillars from this text, Christian basics. These are some things that make us Christian. Number one, Paul talks about the kingdom of God, doesn't he? The kingdom of God is in the conversation. We want to inherit it, kingdom, number one. Number two, sin is an issue in this passage, isn't it? There's a list of behaviors that the apostle says are harmful, rebellious ways to live contrary to God's will for our lives. Kingdom sin. Third, gospel. After that list of sins to avoid, Paul gives the ultimate hope for identity, for satisfaction, for joy, for purpose. The good news, right? Available to all people and four is calling how should we live how should we live and it's not directly mentioned in this letter it's definitely inferred and it's really the point of the whole letter live as christians are calling so those four things kingdom sin gospel calling christian basics in my mind number 1 kingdom it's good to remember let's remember who we're worshiping this morning our god is king Our God is king. He's not a neighborhood king. Or just king of churches. He's king of the universe. Always has been. He's holy. He's set apart. That means there's no one like him. He's different. He is triune, father, spirit, son, in perfect unity, joy, and fellowship. And he's eternally sufficient He's never once needed anything, and he never will. He's always been. He always will be. He reigns over all things. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's pure goodness. He is justice. He is beauty. I love this God. He's holy, He's king. And he has revealed himself to us, hasn't he? By his spirit, through his word. We could never find or corral God or discover him or create him on our own. No, he has to come to us, doesn't he? And he has throughout history. He has through his word. It's Christian to believe, isn't it, that the 66 books of the Bible reveal God's deeds, his character, his purposes, his ways. His word reveals us. It reveals our dignity. It reveals our need. It reveals our purpose. It reveals our future. This holy God is king, and he's revealed himself to us. Best of all, he's revealed himself to us through his son, the ultimate word of God. The Lord Jesus, the son of God, took on flesh to bring us to the father. He lived, he taught, he healed, he died, he rose, he reigns. Our God is king, king of the universe, he's king of history. And he's told us the true story. He told us what life is all about, where it started, where it's going. As a reformed people, you may have noticed, have you ever noticed our incredibly long name? Final of Life Fellowship, Christian Reformed Church. That reformed part is a certain way of looking at scriptures. We know the story, we know the the chapters of history. What's the first one? Creation. Then the fall. Then redemption. Then restoration. This is the true story of the world. And we know God is king. He's writing the story. He's over the story. He was over creation. He's the creator. Don't you believe all of life and every good thing is from Him? He's holy. Out of the overflow of His goodness, He made everything and He called it good. And he made humans, Adam and Eve, in his image to be satisfied in all he is to represent him in the world. This informs how we should respond. For one thing, every single human being is made in the image of God. And that includes those who would identify as homosexual. It includes those who struggle with any sort of sin Every value and worth and dignity every person has, including, of course, a homosexual. So there's never a good reason to mock or revile or denigrate or, God forbid, abuse someone who identifies as gay or is working through these kind of desires. Can I be Southern and ask for an amen? Okay. They're made in the image of God. That is christian to believe that it is unchristian to deny the image of god in another human being god as creator also reminds us that god made sexuality according to his purposes for his reasons as we saw last week sex is the body expressing covenant a permanent exclusive devotion to another we see from Genesis that God created marriage. God created marriage as a one flesh covenant union between a man and a woman. And sex is good and beautiful in the covenant of marriage because it expresses that covenant bodily. This is good for society, it's good for children. It, glorifies the gospel God's covenant with us in Christ that's Christian our God is king what does this mean it means we don't invent ourselves it means we don't name ourselves we don't rely on ourselves we receive from him we know our purpose we know our design because the God who has made us has told us God is king Maybe some of you were intimidated by the five out of nine in black robes who made a pronunciation last Friday. God is still king. The nations of the world have always been coming up with their claims and inventions. And God has always been king, in control, accomplishing his purposes. His word is still true. Creation is still his. And the story is still heading stubbornly to where he wants it to go, which is restoration when Jesus Christ returns. It will get there. Jesus will return and make all things new. God is king. And he invites all who are willing to inherit and enjoy his kingdom forever. And that knowledge should be part of our response. When we deal with things... In our culture, in our nation. Let's not have interruptions in our thought where we all of a sudden become atheist. As if God wasn't around. As if God hadn't spoken. As if God's not there. He is, He's king. After creation came the fall. Do you remember? Adam and Eve decided they would replace God with themselves. They would be the authority. They would name and define themselves. They would define right and wrong apart from God and his word. They would seek to be satisfied in something other than God. I want to ask you right now, can you relate to that process? Can you relate? Sometimes I think of the unforgivable sin. Or maybe the ultimate sin. What's the ultimate sin? The foundational sin. This is the sin, right? Replacing God. I'll be, at the, I'll be the authority. Denying his goodness, his supremacy. I'll take your place. Now if we're thinking Christianly, who has, who has done that? I have done that. You have done that. And this rebellion that we have all participated in, what has it brought? Death, brokenness of every imaginable kind, psychological death, relational death, cosmic death, in the earth, physical death, spiritual death. Here's where I think we need to be clear. Part of our response with integrity would be that the clear biblical message is that one of the results of the fall is homosexual practice bible says it clearly it's in our text today one of the behaviors that is not allowed by god is homosexual practice now that's really up for debate today in our day isn't it i'm hearing a lot recently like this jesus never said anything about homosexuality he said to love one another have you heard that one have you said it There was a very popular example of this kind of thinking in our president's response to this kind of a conversation. He said once to people who had a biblical problem with the support of the gay lifestyle, he said that he would refer those people to the Sermon on the Mount, which is to him more central to his faith than an obscure passage in Romans. Let's just dial down the, the passion level and think for a moment. If you're familiar with scripture, are you content with that kind of thinking? What do you think about calling Romans chapter 1 obscure within a biblical worldview? Or within even like integrity in reading Romans? Romans 1 is pivotal to Paul's argument in probably the most foundational letter in the New Testament. Hard to call it obscure Dr. Rosaria Butterfield was a lesbian feminist activist and professor at Syracuse University. Um, and she converted and became a Christian. And she says Romans 1 had a massive role in changing her life. And it raises the question, are, what do we do with, can we, can we say parts of the Bible are obscure and then, and then uh, emphasize others? A grain of truth, right? I don't preach from Leviticus most of the time, although we could. It's God's word. But could, is the clothing on the priest's robes what we emphasize at Fountain of Life? We might be like, well, that's kind of obscure. But is it still true? Is it God's word? Yes. And, and what does it teach us about? Oh, it would teach us about the, the point of God's word, the gospel. It would teach us about our identity as God's people. It would, but it's true, right? It's all true, all scripture, is inspired by God, so Scripture is not the buffet at Golden Corral. I'll have the bacon. I'll skip the the broccoli. I don't think that's a Christian way to think. Not only that, say say we wanted just to stay in the the Sermon on the Mounts in the Gospels, right? Say we wanted to stay in the Gospels. We just we just went through Matthew together as a church. What about the part in, right in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says that the Old Testament will last forever and not one jot or tittle of it will fail? And where Jesus said that those who teach others to relax God's commandment are least in the kingdom. That's part of God's Word, too. Or what about Matthew 19, where Jesus himself, the resurrected, he will be resurrected at that point in Matthew. But the one who has risen from the dead also has said that he affirms the book of Genesis and the reality that God created marriage to be a covenant between, have you not read, he says, God made them male and female. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. When people say that Jesus supports the homosexual lifestyle or practice... I feel like we're supposed to believe that Jesus is a product of our culture like he was born in 1985 and graduated from Berkeley. He's not a product of our culture. In the flesh, he was a practicing Jew from the first century who loved what we call the Old Testament. He bled it. Have you read him? He bled it. He loved it. And he loved the God of those scriptures. Intellectually, I think one has to be closed-minded to history to think of Jesus or his apostles validating homosexual practice. It couldn't fit within first-century Jewish thought. And if that's what they intended, you and I, you've read the New Testament. If that's what they intended, they're not very good at communicating it. If we're going to have integrity as a Christian response... That kind of thinking won't be enough for us. I think Luke Timothy Johnson's statement has more integrity. This is a professor of New Testament and Christian origins at the Candler School of Theology. He's a senior fellow at the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University. And he supports homosexual behavior as Christian in cases. And he said this about interpreting scripture. He said, the task demands intellectual honesty. I have little patience with efforts to make Scripture say something other than what it says. The exegetical situation is straightforward. We know what the text says. I think it is important to state clearly that we do, and he means here when we support the homosexual lifestyle as Christian, that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority? He says, we appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience. What do you do when it's experience or the pressures of culture or even someone you have a close friendship with versus the authority of Scripture? a hard question but to think Christianly is to know that the Bible is the word of our holy creator God and he is and it is our authority for life and doctrine he's king and so I don't get I can't get my morality from five judges Or from experience, but from God's word. And I think to switch out God's word for experience is a decidedly unChristian thing to do. Now, I'm not saying that, that when people do that, that they're not Christians. Because praise God, we're not saved by our biblical interpretive skills. We're saved by the person of Jesus, by grace through faith. But I do think it lacks integrity. And from a Christian point of view. Trading out God's authority for our own. is not that just a replay of the garden again? I'll decide. I think to have integrity as a Christian. Part of that response is to believe God's word. When it says that homosexual practice is a result of humanity's fall into sin. That is part of our response. But... Did you see this list in First Corinthians 6? Haven't we grown up in a Christian society where it feels like the only thing in that list is homosexual practice? Sometimes we hear homosexuality talked about as if it is the unforgivable sin. It becomes us versus them. They are the bad people, the unclean, untouchable, unreachable, unvaluable. And we, many cases, Christians have been known for mocking, for anger, for antagonism. We've seen the pictures of the sandwich board saying wrongly, in the wrong manner, falsely. God hates gays. As if Jesus said, Love. Heterosexuals as yourself. Or, love your enemies unless they are gay. Do you believe in a gospel of heterosexuality? Be straight and be saved. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, it's safe to say that a very large majority of the people in hell will have identified as heterosexual. If we are going to have integrity as Christians, we can't just look at one thing on this list. We have to be humbled by everything on this list. And this is where I think we, and now I speak of we, I'm I'm talking generally, stereotypically. We, the church of the West. We. Don't you feel like we... Have played our own golden corral with the scriptures? Yes, homosexual practice is in here. What else is in this list? Heterosexual sin is in this list. How dare we mark one group as unforgivable while we rationalize our own sin away? How dare we be hypocrites who decry homosexuality while looking at porn and sleeping with our girlfriends? The world looks at us and says, really? And they have a good point. Check your integrity. But we don't just want to obsess about sexual sin. What else is in this list? The greedy. Oh my goodness. Don't mention that in America. Constantly wanting, needing more of the stuff of this world... Greedy for entertainment, for comfort, for leisure, as if this world was all there was to live for. Coveting what others have in this life. Same list. Revilers are on this list. Do you know what reviling is? It's the way you talk. It's an attitude of self-righteousness and criticism. And cutting and slander. The way you talk is in the same list as homosexual practice. Reviling. How ironic is it that we could read this list and revile homosexuals with self righteousness? (laughs) Don't be deceived, Paul says. You can't stubbornly practice any of these things and inherit the kingdom. The truth is, we have all fallen into sin. And each sin is serious rebellion against a holy God. So a massive part of our response in this day and age is being honest and repentant regarding our own sin. And we're realizing here as we think of the biblical story, creation, fall. I have so much in common with a homosexual or anyone who struggles with same-sex attraction. I am made in the image of God. I have fallen into sin and rebellion and idolatry. And I desperately need Jesus. Creation, fall, redemption. Look at this amazing verse, verse 11. This list, we've all committed something in that list. And such, Paul says, were some of you. Something happens that totally changes who you are. Something happens to where you are no longer defined by what you've done or even what you desire. You are defined by the person and the work of someone else by grace through faith. We forget that Jesus wants to buy people back and restore them to a relationship with the holy God who made them for himself. Let's make it personal. Jesus wants to buy you back and restore you to a relationship with the holy God who made you for himself and no sin or inclination or past or experience can endure what jesus did what he's did what he's done is enough look but you were washed when you trust christ all who call in the name of the lord all you need is a jesus i need you i can't i'm not i need you when you trust christ you were washed washed clean the mark the shame the stigma the guilt the rejection taken away. When you trusted Christ, you were sanctified. That means you were made holy. You were set apart as precious to a holy God. Belonging to him. Loved by him. You were justified. Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection has been applied to you. He took your sin. He gave you the merits of his righteous life. He paid your debt, it is paid, it is forgiven. He gave you the right to be adopted, the right to inherit the kingdom. And you don't have to change yourself. You don't have to earn it. You have to look to the one who did it all for you completely, perfectly. Romans 8:34 is true for anyone in the world who trusts in Jesus. Who is to condemn, Paul says. Let's just hear it again. What was that? Who is to condemn the one who's trusted in Christ over anything? And the answer is no one. Why? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is interceding for us. And then Paul finishes. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. No sin can stop that when you trust Christ. So, Jesus is the answer to the sin problem. He is the redemption. He buys us back. Which means that, listen, the world thinks Christianity is following rules. Is that what this is? Is that what this is? Do we want to get our resumes together of all the great rules we followed this week and compare and contrast? Are you a great rule follower? That's not the essence of being a Christian. It's having Jesus, seeing him and knowing him, and by his spirit being made more like him. We need to emphasize the person of the Son of God. This also shows us that the answer for homosexuality is not heterosexuality. It's not the gospel of heterosexuality. The answer is the person of Jesus. And we are new and we are transformed by him. If you look down to verse 19 of chapter 6, Paul says, Of anyone who's trusted in Christ, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. When you come to Christ, your life becomes revolutionized, supposedly. Have we lost this? We become his temple. We were all born into the world with broken hearts, right? I was born inclined to love things that are wrong. If I followed all of my desires unfiltered, unthought about, without the truth of God's word or the power of his spirit, what would I do? But to be a Christian is to be fundamentally changed. It's to have your heart fundamentally changed towards Jesus. You love him and you're willing now, right? His commands, it says in First John, are no longer burdensome. You're willing now to take up your lazy boy... And flat screen TV and surround sound. And no, I got that wrong. You're commanded, you're willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus. You know what Jesus says to the crowds in, in Luke masses of crowds. And, the, and, and he, he could smell it out that they were there for what he could give them physically, politically. He says if you won't come after me give up all you have you can't be my disciple. He actually says if you you don't love me more than your father or mother you can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to give up all you have for me you can't be my disciple. Do you remember that Christians? That's what he's called us to. He has given his life for us to have all of us. Everything. Every part. Now of course Following that road isn't an easy button thing, right? It's a process, but we do become transformed to fight the desires that displease him and to desire to please him with everything as we wait for the restoration that comes when he returns. Can those with same-sex attraction be unified to Christ by grace through faith and follow him? (laughs) Yes! Yes! It's just as easy for Jesus to do that As it was to save you Yes There are many who do I remember hearing from a man named Ron Sitlau He's written a a good book on the matter He was promiscuously homosexual all throughout his teens His story is amazing Amazing the transformation Jesus worked in his life It wasn't easy It wasn't instant He's different He's so different In his case He's now a husband, a father, a pastor, a writer, in his case. Maybe you've read Washed and Waiting by Wesley Hill. He's a Christian who grew up in the church. He has homosexual desire very strongly. And that has not gone away. But he is living for Christ. And in his, in his, in his words, that means living celibately in Christian community. And his book title, Washed, from 1 Corinthians 6. And what? Waiting Waiting for the restoration that comes with Christ. Creation, fall, redemption in the gospel, restoration. These things inform a Christian response that has integrity. So what does it mean, our calling then? How do we work for reconciliation as we wait for the ultimate restoration? How do we have integrity I've got a few ideas for us. You're going to know if you know me very well that I don't do all of these very well. But I want to improve. To respond with integrity means to have integrity regarding the gospel. Do you remember what Paul said about the gospel in Romans 1? I am not ashamed of the gospel easy, if you were on Facebook yesterday, to be a little sheepish about the gospel. Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed that God is king, his word is true, and endures forever? Are you afraid to say you believe the gospel? i reminded of what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony, sorry, this is 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Do what by the power of God? Share in suffering. For what? Because we like suffering? It's a hobby for us? No. Share in suffering for the gospel. The gospel has sin in it that Jesus died for. Do you love the gospel? Are you willing to suffer for it? Are you willing to believe it? Talk about it, live it, be faithful to it. Do you love scripture? you love it do you know it will you share it thoughtfully winsomely do you think it's true and good for people deuteronomy god says these commandments are life did god make things a certain way for our good are they life are his commandments true and right for everyone let's not just be jellyfish floating on the currents of pop culture Let's work harder than that. Integrity regarding the gospel, who Jesus is, what he's done, his word. Second, we need integrity regarding our own lifestyles, don't we? What's the old phrase? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Can we adjust that, tweak it just a little bit? Love the sinner and genuinely hate your own sin. Can we start there? Hate your own sin. Get the log out. Get the splinters out. Asking, where do I need to repent? Where is my integrity off? We don't do this in condemnation, right? We need the gospel too. Self-righteous church goers. You're not self-righteous. I am sometimes. I need the gospel too. I'm loved. I'm accepted based on Jesus and what he's done for me. And because I'm loved, I have the Holy Spirit, and now I can change. But isn't it easy? Isn't it easy to fall into not being concerned with the sin in our lives? So many of the New Testament letters deal with this. Romans 6, can can we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Why do you think Paul has to write that chapter? Because it's easy for us when we hear of grace to be like, oh, don't sweat the sin. Right? It's easy for me. What's Paul's answer to that question? Oh, can we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? In Greek, it's like, hell no. Megan, noita, no way, Jose. However you want to... Definitely not. It's strong. No. I, I feel pressed to look in more at my own integrity. Am I wanting to please a holy God every day, all the time? And listen... If you, if you read any of the uh, minority report from the Supreme Court justices, three of them said they were deeply concerned about the future of religious liberty. I don't know what that will be or not. But it may become harder and harder to be a Christian. Okay? It may. It may have a cost. That's actually normal for history. If that's true, are you ready Are you ready to suffer a little bit for the gospel? What if somebody asks you your opinion? You tell them what you think the Bible says and, and you're ostracized. There's people who've lost their jobs over saying they don't agree with the pop culture thing right now. There's, there's questions. Are schools going to lose their tax-exempt status? There, there may be a cost. Are you re- Are you ready? You know, there, there was some uh, research that came out lately that's saying that Christianity was shrinking in our, country, in our country. A lot of thinkers looked at that data and said, no, no, it's not Christianity that's shrinking, it's nominal Christianity that's shrinking. So in other words, the sort of Christians aren't interested in being sort of Christians anymore. Now that makes sense with a cultural change because it becomes uncomfortable becomes difficult it becomes not the assumption and so if you're not in all the way you'll, you'll be out because it'll be hard to be in but as the way they determine uh as looking at the data evangelical christians that's not shrinking those who believe the bible trust jesus invested in church Let's not be casual Christians. Is reading the Bible every other week for two minutes going to cut it in an environment like that? Is hitting a service every once in a while going to be enough to keep you? Integrity regarding our lifestyle. What about integrity regarding friendships? I'm going to say something really radical here. Don't throw your Bibles at me. It's not a denial of the gospel to be close friends with unbelievers or homosexuals. What? Be holy as I am holy. Yet Jesus didn't say be holy as I am holy as he stayed in heaven sitting on his throne hiding from sinners. He came and ate with them. It's hard, isn't it? Just humanly speaking, to be a friend with somebody who strongly disagrees with you on anything. Don't you have the relative, you're like, can't talk to them about politics. Just can't. It's uncomfortable. There's people I love, and it's like, just don't even bring that up. Because we have such a hard time disagreeing and still being nice. It's hard. It's hard for anyone. It's really hard to do that. But can and should we anyway? Yeah, Let's get our own egos out of the game. There's a, there's a line in a U2 song that says, Stop walking God across, across the road like a little old lady. <laughs> i got to protect God. What if people say mean things about him? You might cry. No, he's cool. He's good. Psalm 2, the nation's rage. The Lord laughs. He's all right. You don't have to protect him. He's good. He's fine. He's holy. He's king. You can love and know people who believe very different things than you. In fact, we probably should. Let's make it stronger. We should. It's so easy, isn't it? It's easy for me. This is my job, to know and hang out with Christians all the time. Are you going to pray and ask God that he will give you friendships that you can invest with with people who do not know the lord and who and and with and who may be identified as homosexuals will you pray for that with me i'm going to be praying for that friendship if if you think that's too much have you lost your shock over jesus befriending you well oh, they they're sinners oh but you let's also as a part of this consider more risky hospitality I I do not speak on this as an expert in any way I am told um, in a book written by someone who used to be homosexual who now um, is not and she wrote that Hospitality is massively important in the gay community. Guess what hospitality also is in the New Testament? A command. Be hospitable even to the stranger. What if we said we need to be more risky in our hospitality efforts? Befriending people, inviting them over, and then when they come, listening. You're going to have to follow the leading of the Spirit on this. But in many cases, you're going to have to take church to people rather than, having taking, rather than taking people to church. And you follow the Spirit. Some people, a church invitation, it's exactly what they need. Go ahead and do it. I don't, I don't know. Other people, no way, Jose, they're not coming. But they might come over to your house. And when they do, listen to them and love them and chill out and build a relationship And maybe let them see over time just the gospel reality in your life. The way you live. The way you treat your family. The way you treat your friends. The way you think about the world. Be friends. We need to be friends. Jesus did it for us. And that's integrity. It's not non-Christian to do that, is it? We've been told though in our past church experiences. that Maybe they didn't tell us explicitly. But we were told you can't hang out with people like that. But is that what the Bible says? Is that what Jesus did? Integrity regarding friendships. How about this one? Integrity regarding expectation.